welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey everyone, this is Chris, and welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives. You know, I am so excited because today, I always say that I I love the guests that I have on, but I have known Lawrence now for a while now. We're kindred spirits in the sense that we have a passion for working with dads and helping dads to be better dads, especially dads with daughters. And Dr. Chatters is the Vice President for Student Affairs at Midland University in Fremont, Nebraska. And we are, um, we actually have similar backgrounds because we both are student affairs professionals, worked in student affairs, and now are doing, I'm doing some different things, but Lawrence is still in it to win it. And, and he's got two daughters, just like I have two daughters. So Dr. Chatters, or Lawrence, thanks so much for being here today. Chris, thank you so much for the invitation. It's always awesome to sit down and get a chance to talk about my daughters. They are the light of my life, as I know your daughters are the light of yours. And it's just awesome to spend time as men talking about these young girls that we're building with, with, of course, our partners into women and all the lessons we get to teach them. So I'm excited to talk with you today. Now, I always start these shows with a little bit of a, a turn back, a turn back of the clock. So I want you to think back. Think back to when you were first be going to become a father. I want to have you think back to that first reaction that you had when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. Tell me about that. Well, it's a really poignant memory, Chris, because there were some unique challenges that surrounded that time that in some ways are connected with some of the stuff that we're facing today as a country. My uh, girlfriend at the time and I were expecting, and we had had some pretty significant issues with her parents. And when we found out the news at the time, even though it was really exciting for me, wasn't as exciting for her because she knew that this was something that her parents weren't going to be very happy with. And so, but for me, again, it was really exciting because I really loved her and I was really excited about the potential of being a father. And I was excited to tell my family. And I can remember calling my mom and telling my mom and my mom was excited, but then my girlfriend and I, currently my wife, of course, we had to sit down and really talk about how we were going to tell her parents because they weren't the uh, most excited about our relationship. So <laughs> I would have to say that it did have something to do with, with race. And so that's kind of a problem. My wife is from a small town in Nebraska and she is white and I am African-American. And that was one of the challenges that we were facing at the time. It's nice that you took me back to that time, but at the same time, you know, it was kind of a, a bit of a, a challenging time in my life and my, my wife's life as well. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we talked about that because in a little bit, we're going to be talking more about what's going on in society today and how we can talk to our daughters about that. Now, but before we do that, I want to ask you a couple more questions. And, you know, you're a busy guy. You, as a vice president for student affairs at a university, your time is a lot of times not your own. I, I know that because I've been there. And I know that you're busy with a lot of other things too. But so tell me about how do you balance? How do you balance all of the professional responsibilities with the responsibilities that you have as a father? Well, it's definitely something that's been a major part of my life. And that is just being totally overwhelmed by all the things that I do. And what I would say is that at this point in my life with my job at the university, this is actually one of the most calm and 
organized times that I've ever experienced in my adult life. And with that being the case, I would say that, yes, I am exceptionally busy with all the things that present from the university. But whenever I have the opportunity to, I try to spend a significant amount of time with my daughters, taking them out to do things that we both enjoy, uh, golfing, tennis. My oldest is starting to drive now. So you know how that is. Like, she just wants to always go somewhere because she wants to drive, you know? And so that's become something really special that we do together. But it's so hard, man, because, you know, work doesn't stop at the end of the day. Our phones continue to go off. The emails will never stop. The issues can always be from extremely urgent to not so urgent, but it's hard to turn off that setting in our mind that says that it's not urgent or could be urgent, right? So we always have to be incessantly checking our phones to make sure that our students are okay, that our president isn't reaching out to ask us a question that needs to be answered, right? So um, I have more time to spend with my family now than I ever have in my life. And I so enjoy it, especially with the recent situation with the coronavirus and everything and actually working from home. That has taught me some valuable lessons about essentially what it's like to be on the other side of not necessarily being home. And I think sometimes when we get so caught up in always being away, there's a certain peace and comfort in being away because that's kind of where we think, hey, we're putting in all this time and effort to make sure our families are okay. But you know, when you're really forced to stay at home and see what happens, essentially, as they call it, you see how the sausage is made, right? It's never really a pretty situation. And so these last few months, my respect for my wife has grown exponentially. And I've also started to better appreciate the opportunity to see my daughters up close and personal as they grow into young women. And that in and of itself is like a true blessing of what's happened recently. And I would have never, ever given myself the ability to stay home or to not be at work as much. And so this has forced us to do that in a way. And so that's been a blessing for sure. You know, our daughters are similar ages and in my, I, I kind of was smiling when you were talking about your daughter wanting to go out driving because one of the things that has happened over the coronavirus time for myself is that every night my daughter wants me to take her out driving. So before we talked tonight, I, I was out driving with my daughter, just like we always do. And I said, I have to be back at a certain time because I've got to be talking with Dr. Chatters. So I, I smile because it is a special time, you know, and she's almost 16. She's getting ready for the second part of her driver's testing. And um, so she's excited about that. And before this, she wasn't as excited. So I, I do appreciate what you said. And I definitely am, am with you. And in that time, that, that special time that you have when you can do those type of things and just be together, you know, even if you're not always talking, it's just being together and yeah. being able to have that time together. Now, with everything that is going on in the world today, you know, sometimes for dads, it can be kind of scary when you look around and you see the world and, and what's happening in the world today. What would you say as you look at everything? And it doesn't even have to be about the, the current environment, but what would you say is the biggest fear that you have as a father to daughters today? Man, that's such a powerful question. What is the biggest fear I have um, as a father of daughters? So it's, it's multifaceted. The fear is multifaceted. But one of the fears that I have is that my daughters will somehow not realize their potential and fully harness the power that they have as young black women. And the other fear that I have is that the world 
won't see their potential and that the world won't give them the opportunity to fully experience the power that they have as young black women. So, and when I say that, I mean it in a sense of, I know that my daughters are going to grow up in a world that has a certain viewpoint of them. And I really try every day to instill in them the abilities to understand those challenges that they'll face and prepare them for those things. It's so difficult though, because while I'm telling them a lot of these challenges that they're, that they will face, I think they're seeing some of those things because they experience some of these microaggressions and negative things that might come from their friends as far as statements and such in their daily activities at school. They do experience some of those things, but they also are bearing witness to that on a national level. And so, you know, they're seeing all of these things and I think they're trying to reason with how do I still become who I want to be when who I want to be isn't necessarily the most accepted or celebrated individual in our society, right? So it's such a difficult thing. And and I think it's a challenge that a lot of people of color face in that as you're going through your cultural identity development and you're wanting to be proud and who you are, the closer you get to that, whatever that might be, is the farther away you get from, in some senses, what society sees as perfect or positive or whatever the case might be. And that's that's really challenging. And I think that there's a lot of people that don't have to think about that. You know, for me, watching my daughters grow up, I see a lot of myself in them in that they're extremely, I don't know, they're humorous girls, you know, they love to have fun, they love to laugh and play and have a great time, but they're also very sensitive. And they're very sensitive to the things that are happening around them in the world. And they're sensitive to the way that people receive them. And that's not always positive. And so where some kids are growing up and they are, you know, the world is their oyster, right? You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to do all of these wonderful things. I'm over here frantically trying to prepare my daughters to understand how to be resilient enough to look past some of those negative things that might happen as a result of the world and still become great, you know? So that's that, those, are, those are my biggest fears, Chris. It's just... I want them to be amazing. I want them to feel like they can do anything, but I also want the world to allow them that opportunity, you know? And so those are two difficult uh, fears that I have that either one of those two things won't happen. You know, and I think that any father would say that they want the same thing for their kids. In the same sense, though, as you said, there are things that stand in the way for some children for some kids to be able to meet that potential. And they have to be able to understand the world the way it is, but they don't have to live with the world the way it is. And I think that all of us as dads, the way that I look at this is that I think all of us have a responsibility to be able to talk to our children, talk to our daughters about the world, especially when, when things, when you see things that are happening today that are confusing. And, and, and people, and especially if, I mean, no matter what your age, your child, your children are, I mean, having conversations about racism and about oppression, you know, is important because while some of you may not feel that you have privilege in the way that you grew up, every one of us has privilege in some way. And it's not the same as the person to your right or to your left. So one of the reasons that I was so excited about having Dr. Chatters on today was is about this conversation, because I think it's so important that we 
have some tools in our own toolbox to be able to start a conversation, start a conversation between us as fathers, but also start a conversation between ourselves and our children to be able to look at the world and be able to take a stand for what you believe in. And personally, you know, this has opened up the world to conversations to be had. Now, conversation can only go so far. And and then you have to take action. And we'll, we'll get there. We'll talk to we'll talk about that today too. So, Dr. Chatters, I think first and foremost, as we talk about racism in in society today and we talk about fatherhood and and how these intersect, one of the things that comes to mind is that not every father is going to have a lived experience as you've had, as your daughters have had. And I know you talked about microaggressions that your daughters have experienced. And, and I'm trying to see if there's a way in which we can help others to be able to understand what that means and p- paint a picture for what that may mean. Because for people our age, racism in our minds may mean one thing. And we have a picture of what that looks like or what it could have looked like 20, 30, 50 years ago. But today it looks a little bit different and probably a lot different. Could you paint a picture for us of outside of what we're seeing on the news and what's been happening for kids today, like your daughters, how is that manifesting itself? So uh, Chris, that's a really important question. And how it's manifesting in this day and age, I think, is that, and this is honestly just my opinion of my daughters growing up in the neighborhood that they're currently growing up in. And I understand that everybody faces different challenges wherever their respective spaces are in neighborhoods and everything else and their experiences. But if I were to paint a picture, what I would tell you is that if you stand back from it and you look at it, it really looks quite beautiful, right? I mean, you have some diversity in spaces. You have increasing diversity in some small towns across the country where people are coming in to work in particular industries or different things like that. And so the diversity is there, right? And so you're seeing more and more people of color in different spaces where they used to not be. But what you don't necessarily see is the inclusion part. You still see the same system that has persisted for years as far as some of the institutionalized forms of racism, you still see the, the gaps of socioeconomic status, you still see the gaps in health, you still see the, the gaps in educational attainment and achievement, you still see these gaps. But if you stand back far enough, you can't see those gaps because it looks like, well, hey, they're here, they're, they have jobs, you know, they're, they're doing well for themselves, everything seems okay, right? And the challenge of that issue is that we still have these pretty significant separations in these neighborhoods. So you have your, where people are worshiping. And if you look at the church, the church is still a very segregated space. If you look at where people live, physically live, neighborhoods are still extremely segregated, right? And so as you think about that, you kind of think about it like this, and this is the way I see it. The places where we are most vulnerable we don't have diversity, right? If you are experiencing something and say it's a spiritual thing that you're experiencing at church and there's really not many people around you that look different, you have no idea that those people experience that same thing and are as vulnerable as you and praise the same way you praise. Now, when we start to see more integration in some of those different spaces, which is gonna, it's gonna take a long time to still build that because 
the way that our society has grown, you still haven't seen these breakdowns of those barriers in those specific areas, right? So the neighborhood, right? Let's just think about it. You walk outside your house right now. I walk out my side, you know, outside my house, and I'm like, "Hey, I'd really like to do a, a, a block party or something." You know, I'm going to invite all these neighbors that live around, and then all these people show up. In my neighborhood, it's just the reality that my family would be one of the only African American families at the block party, right? <laughs> and so, now you're thinking about it again. We talk about this idea of where you are vulnerable and where there is maybe possible diversity there in your house and in your space that is your home. I mean. I consider that a place that you can be pretty vulnerable, right? I mean, where else, right? And you go out and you want to have a good time and you want to have a barbecue and different things like that. Again, there's really no diversity there. And so therefore, what that computes to is when these kids come to school and for the first time they're coming in contact with a person of color, they really don't know what to say or how to act around that person. Because I haven't seen many people that look like you in my church. I haven't seen many people like you in my neighborhood. The first time I'm seeing you is at my school. And so all of a sudden now, the burden is on my daughters to try to represent everything that that young person that's looking at them thinks they know about being an an African-American person in this society, right? And my daughter's experience is so different because, you know, they grew up in a lot of really homogeneously white neighborhoods too. Right. So the thing that really separates them, though, is their physical appearance. So their hair might be different. Their skin color may be different. But their experience is very similar to the rest of the white students in that school. And so my daughters are there to hold the burden for all of the potential negative stereotypes and microaggressions that these young people who have maybe seen you know, on TV or maybe interacted here or there with a person of color. My daughters are there to bear the burden of all of those things. And My daughters, I would rather them just be there to learn and get an education, right? I just want my daughters to go to school and do well academically so they can get a scholarship and go on to college. But instead, they have to learn. They have to be young women, which in and of itself is difficult with all of the challenges that they face as being young women. And then they also have to be young black women and they have to deal with all those burdens. Other kids can just be at school to learn. Do you see where I'm coming from? So As you step back away from the picture, you start to realize that this undue burden on these people in these spaces is is one of the things that is not fair in our society. Because shouldn't shouldn't all of our kids just be able to go to school just to learn? Now, don't get me wrong. Trust and believe there are other kids at school that are struggling with other things. They're being bullied. They're being treated certain way because of whatever their physical disability might be or, or otherwise, right? And I understand that as well. But I mean, when it comes to Uh, the race situation and how charged that is in our society. I would rather if I could just have my daughters go to school just to, just to learn. And so that's the same exact experience for many other people of color in the spaces in which they exist is that I just want to go to work on a daily basis and work, but I'm probably one of the only full-time African-American males at my entire school. Okay. So I have to carry that burden with me. You know, when I'm in different spaces, I have to carry that burden with me. And, you know, it's 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 just that's the way that essentially racism manifests in this day and age is that there's a lot of people that are carrying undue burdens when they just want to live normally. Right. <laughs> so, you know, everybody else is having a good time. And, you know, someone is over there carrying a, a 40 to 50 pound rucksack on their back. 
but it doesn't look like anything different because trust and believe I have to get used to that. I have to be able to maneuver. I have to know the right things to say. I have to know when to smile. I have to know when to not say something about culture so I don't blow up the whole conversation. And guess what? My daughters have to do the same exact thing. So this is the extra narrative. This is the extra weight that people are carrying in our society. And our daughters, you know, people of colors, daughters and other daughters who have special needs and stuff like that, that they have to go up that that battle that they have to fight. They're having to carry that every single day at school. So that's kind of how racism manifests in this day and age is that from the outset and from the outside, it looks like things are better. It looks like things are smooth, but there's so many people that are carrying burdens and essentially living on eggshells as they walk through the world trying to maintain this dance between being who they want to be and being who society wants them to be, you know? So, and again, that really does happen with my daughters as well. And so those are some unique things that I've seen about this journey for me and them that really align. So with you saying that, I it, one thing that comes to mind really goes down to the conversations that all of us have to have with our own families within within our own with our own daughters about this from a very early age and from the outset for people that have not lived that lived experience that you are talking about that your daughters have lived that you have lived having that or starting that conversation with their own children may be very difficult because they don't know where to start do you have any suggestions for other dads that are out there that are seeing what's going on in the world today and they're a little lost about, they understand what's going on or they, they feel like they understand and they want to do something. They want to have a conversation with their own daughters, but they just don't know where to start. And they don't know how, because they don't have people to, to turn to, people that are diverse in their own neighborhood, people that are diverse, that are their friends, that they can go and say, I don't know where to start, or they're not willing to say that for themselves and put themselves out there to say, I just don't know. Do you have suggestions? Absolutely, Chris. And one thing I'll start out by saying is that we all do know exactly what to do. Okay. And the reason we all know exactly what to do is that if we love our daughters, if we love our family members, if we know what love in and of itself is, then we have to understand that love is the answer to this difficult question. We have to find it in our hearts to seek out how and why we should love other people who look different from us, who have different experiences from what we have. And just to kind of break this down, I'm actually going to use the, the acronym of love for these dads to help them understand what they should be doing, okay? So the L is, first of all, you need to learn. As a person in education, you as well, right? You, we understand that there's a process by which you go about gathering information and understanding concepts, right? So I want to encourage the dads out there to just learn more about the history of the United States. How did we get to this point? Understand that because honestly, I know a lot of them, just like me, as they came through school, they got certain images and they learned certain things. And so that was their understanding of what they believed. And I encourage them to learn more about the history of racial struggle in the United States. By learning that, it's going to open their eyes to exactly why we are where we are. And there's a lot of nuance, but I want them to understand the theory behind how we've gotten to this point in our country. When they learn and they understand the history, 
then I encourage them to listen. And I encourage them to listen to all different types of perspectives on the issue, including their children's perspective, right? So if you figure out where your children are by listening to your children and understanding what they think and what they know and understand about the different concepts and constructs of race and racism and our country and everything else, then you kind of have an idea of where you're starting with your, with your children. And so from learning, you get that factual basis so you can understand what you're talking about. Men like to understand what they're talking about, right? If you get the, the um, schematic on how to build something, you can start to put it together one piece at a time, right? Well, they have to understand racism as a construct and a schematic in the United States. Then they have that factual basis from which they can have a better understanding so they can talk to their children, listen to their children. The next thing they need to do is they need to offer help and they need to offer hope. As men, I think we often really like to be able to offer help and we love the opportunity to offer hope. It's going to be okay, baby. You know, like you're going to be all right. It's okay. You know, don't worry about it. Just pull over here. We'll, we'll, we'll take a break, right? We love to be able to offer help and offer hope. And during this time, that is essentially important. And so offering help during this time essentially means let me try and help you understand what's going on and why it's going on. But you need the learning to get to that point where you understand what's going on. And if you're going to offer hope, then that's going to really pull you into how are we together as a family going to help affect change in this situation? We don't necessarily have all the answers, but we can, as a family, be very open and accepting of other people. So that's hopeful, right? We can be one of the families that can make a change. So offering help and offering hope. The other thing I want to encourage dads to do is just validate the feelings that their children are having in this moment. They're seeing a lot of things that maybe we don't know they're seeing because they have phones, right? They can do all kinds of different things on the internet. So they're seeing things that might be a brutal reminder of the racial issues in our country, right? And so we need to validate that they're feeling sad, that they're potentially even feeling traumatized because of the things that they're seeing. We need to validate that and in that validation, we are showing them, I appreciate where you are right now, and I understand that this is painful. And through that validation as well, we also need to validate the feelings of the people who are experiencing this potentially, who are of other cultures, right? So we don't want to invalidate why people are doing what they're doing. We want to validate it. And through validating that and our own children's feelings, we show them that we are understanding and approachable. Which leads to the next point, which is that dads need to be vulnerable in this moment. If they don't know the answer, they need to say, I don't know the answer. I, I have no idea how we're going to get out of this, but we sure are going to try, right? And I think they need to say things like, I don't fully understand how all of this works so that their kids can see that and understand that they shouldn't necessarily feel like they should know how everything works, right? And through that vulnerability, we also are setting a foundation for a more positive communication relationship with our, with our children. And I think that's so important because when kids think that you're this no nonsense, you know, never make a mistake person, they never want to tell you when they make a mistake, right? It's just a difficult thing to do. So that foundation through this vulnerability is very helpful. And then finally, I think we have to empower our children to recognize that they can play a positive role 
in this change. And that means when you're at school and you see a person that's of a different culture, I want you to see that person the same way you see your family and your friends. That is another person that has a family and friends. They want to be successful just like you. Understand that your culture may be something different, but we are all human beings and we all deserve to be loved and respected. And therefore, you need to try to build a bridge to get to know that person positively through questions like, nice to meet you, you know, simple questions that are not necessarily focused on culture to start the the equation, right? And you don't walk up to somebody and just automatically like start making statements about things that you see about them that might be different. You know, we, we have to get past that point. We have to see people as human beings first. So the final component is just encouragement. And that encouragement is not only for your family, but it's for all the other people you have around you. If you happen to be a leader in your community, encourage the people who you have influence over to try to make a positive change. If you happen to be on your church board, think about how you can incorporate inclusive practices into your church. How can you incorporate inclusive practices into your job? This encouragement of inclusion is important. And it starts with your family. We like to build these certain tenets in our family as values and things like that. I think encouraging inclusion and encouraging being outgoing toward other cultures and just making sure that we are constantly considering others is an extremely important thing for us to do as men in our families. And it starts with how we interact with other people. If we see other people and it's a person of color and we walk away, we don't make comments about anything that has to do with their culture. We say, that was a nice man and he has a nice family. You know, simple things like that that can really change the narrative of how we interact with people. And and, and then again, finding opportunities to sit down and go to other cultural events and immerse yourself with other people's families who might be different cultures, encouraging your friends, again, to think about cultural things. I mean, there's so much that we can do. So that's kind of in a nutshell, those things that we can do. And it all starts in our heart, in my opinion. It starts in our ability to recognize other people as positive human beings who also want to live a comfortable life and deserve love. And so, you know, some of us, we find that in our faith, other people find it elsewhere, but I encourage people to start in their heart and just try to love people around you. And, and, and through those different practices with your family, hopefully you can make a, a change. I think that the way that you explain that is going to be very meaningful for individuals because it's something that someone can remember. And all of us know what love is in some way within our own reality. And to be able to take that and think even deeper about how we can show, as you said, L-O-V-E, love, to others is so important. Now, as we're having these conversations and we're practicing these tenets with our own families and within with our kids, there's inevitably going to be times in some families that they want to go the next step. They want to see if they can make some type of meaningful change, meaningful change in their neighborhood, in their town, in their cities, in their states. But again, they don't know that next step. They don't know how they can potentially have their voice heard to be able to make that that next leap to being an advocate, a friend, a confidant, whatever it might be. Do you have thoughts on that, on how people can make that next step, going from 
the tenants that you said, but really moving beyond that to being more of an advocate for the future. Absolutely. So there are multiple models of how people can uh, essentially become more inclusive and become more culturally competent. It's a process. It's a, there's, a, there's a wide range of things that you can do. But some simple things that, that people can do, Chris, in their own lives is just start to bring more cultural things into their household and help their families understand those things. Watching movies that have some kind of a cultural meaning, really what that starts to do is it starts to build a separate narrative in their families' minds about people. And instead of just seeing what is presented to them, I want them to take an active role in bringing positive representations of people of color into their home and really just seeking to better understand other people's history. And anytime there's a given opportunity to potentially there's a, you know, some kind of exhibit that you can go and see and immerse yourself in and just understand it and actually do that as a family and, and walk away and talk about it. These are valuable things because what you're starting to show your, your children is that these things should be appreciated too. These things should be valued. And to me, what that shows them is that those people's lives have value. And so therefore, when you see someone else and you understand a little bit about their experience and you're starting to better understand why things are the way that they are, then you can start having more compassion for people. And so I encourage that. I also encourage, again, if you want to be an advocate, then make sure you're connecting yourself to positive movement for inclusion wherever you are. There are organizations that exist across our country that are always looking for allies to say, hey, you know, it, it, does, it shouldn't only be the people who understand what it's like to be discriminated against trying to fight against the people who discriminate. We need some people to, 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 to switch sides at some point, right? So- Speak up and speak out. Join some leadership groups that have specific agendas that have to do with increasing inclusion. Again, talk to your faith-based community and say, we should form a committee on inclusion and seek out how we can diversify our church family. You know, we should be thinking about these things. We should just try to do everything we possibly can to be thinking of others. And what's so difficult about that, Chris, is just that it's so uncomfortable to do that, Right. It's not comfortable to always be thinking about other people because first and foremost, as men, especially, we try to think of our families. So I'm giving folks homework to do out there. But I, I think it's a positive thing because the more you think of other people, the more you understand your privilege and recognize that you are constantly forgetting the struggles that other people have, the better you become as a human being, in my opinion, right? And the more you are working your ability to love more people and be more accepting of people. And I think, honestly, we all want to think of ourselves as loving and accepting people, but it's a heavy exercise, you know? And so when you're thinking about those types of things, I think it leads you on a journey of just pushing your family constantly to just, well, let's look at that from a different perspective, you know? What would it be like if uh, we didn't have this or we didn't have this opportunity or this was different? And you start to train your children so that they understand what privilege is. They recognize they might have it, but they understand it. And I think that's kind of that next step is pointing things out in the world that just aren't right to your kids and saying, you see this, this is not right. This is uh, not a proper representation of these individuals and we should not support something like that, you know? And that's that next step, right? Is <laughs> is essentially divesting our attention and our resources from certain areas where discrimination is acceptable.
one of the things that I, I, I think that all of us can learn from is that we all need to learn more. And you mentioned that as the first tenet of love is, is that we need to learn. Are there places that you would send people to, to start to start on that journey? to start the journey of enlightenment, we'll say, or education, to be able to become more informed. Yeah, absolutely. So in every community, there's usually going to be spaces where, and and the reason that I want to do it on a community level is that I believe that it is on the community level that the most change can actually be affected. Okay. So wherever you are, like, I mean, you could definitely join some national movements and and become a part of something national, but I want you to try to change your community. So what I want to say is I want you to become an advocate in the space that you're in. So as you learn, if you are looking for particular resources, I want you to just type cultural competency into Google, and I want you to go on a journey, and I want you to try to understand some of the things that you've been missing out on. There are certainly some books that can be recommended. White Fragility is one of them. I'm not necessarily going to have the specific authors right now, but there's another book called Raising White Children, which is a really good one. And there's a number of resources that you can read about what the experience of other people of color is like. There's just so many things out there, Chris. And and I, I think that I want people to consider starting in their neighborhoods and I want them to consider talking with their friends about what do you know about being culturally competent? What do you know about race in America? And to be honest with you, it is so compelling to see people who are interested in the topic when they become hungry and they want to gain information about it. It's amazing to see that energy and it's a really positive energy. But what I encourage you to do is use your own time and effort to focus on your learning and don't just rely upon the people of color in your spaces because that's really stressful for them too. Okay. Depending on the friendship that you have with a person, if you do have a friend who could help you understand some of these concepts, that's fine. But it's not their duty to teach you. It's your duty to teach yourself, right? So that's one of the things I also want to encourage folks to do is don't just turn to your friends of color and say, tell me everything I need to know about racism. You know, like it's not comfortable. Try to do some of your own journey work. And then when you figure and you find that you have some ideas of things that you'd like to talk about from a scholarly perspective, then I want you to kind of present that conversation to your friends and say, you know, I've been reading a lot about, you know, the uh, disproportionate rate of incarceration of people of color. And I just really want to talk to you about how maybe that's potentially impacted your life or your family or people around you. And then they're going to say, wow, okay, you've done a little bit of homework. Okay. Now we can have a conversation because I recognize that this isn't just going to be one conversation. This is going to be the start of something new that we have as friends, which is talking about things differently. Or if you say, you know, I've been reading a lot about privilege and I understand what white privilege is now, or at least I think I do. Would you be willing to talk with me more about that? I just had a friend that reached out to me the other day and said, you know, I never understood what privilege was. I never believed in it. And now I've been doing some more reading and I feel like I have a better understanding of it. Would you be willing to talk about that at some point? And I said, absolutely. You know, like you don't want to have a conversation with somebody and just you're constantly trying to teach them something because that means that you haven't really done your homework, you know? So do your homework, encourage your family to do their homework too. So that when they go out and they're having conversations about these things, they can speak from an educated perspective as well. It is so important. You know, uh, you mentioned a number of great books. One book that I read back in my own master's degree was called Education of a Wasp. It was by a woman named Lois Stalvey. And it's an older book, 
but a really interesting read. And it's actually from the 70s, but and it might seem very outdated, but it, to be honest, it was all about that. Someone that grew up not believing that she had any privilege until she was placed in a situation where she became the minority and ended up seeing that she did have privilege even though she never thought she did. And having to learn about that after living in, really it was the Cleveland ghetto, you know, and in that, for, in that time and period. And that's why the way that she explained it. And it was a, just a very eye-opening read. So all of these, and we'll put links in our notes today for everyone so that you can find some of these different resources that are out there. But there's plenty of other ones that are out there too. And if you've got ones that, that you know about, you know, definitely let others know about it. You know, tell us about it. You know, drop us a line at fatheringtogether at gmail.com and we'll put it in the notes too. Because we want to make sure that we're sharing and we're, and we're a good resource for everyone as well. Well, Lawrence, you know, we always finish our interviews with what we like to call the fatherhood five, where we ask you five questions to delve deeper into you as a father. Are you ready? Yes, let's go. In one word, what is fatherhood? Responsibility. When was the time that you felt that you finally succeeded as a father to a daughter? When my daughter received the uh, president's academic award at the end of her middle school career. How would your kids describe you? As a dad. Intense. You never. <laughs> now, who inspires you to be a better dad? That's a really challenging question. I have a good friend. He's a mentor of mine. His name is Dr. Jamie Williams, and he's a former NFL football player who retired from the NFL and then went on and got his PhD. The way that I see he cares for his kids and his family as a strong African-American man in the community and all the adversity he's faced that I've seen up close and personal, but he still works his tail off for his family all the time and just loves his kids so much and has such a great relationship with them. He inspires me to seek out that kind of a relationship with my daughters, you know, and I think I just always have looked up to him because he carries so much on his back, but he still shields his family from a lot of that and just keeps working hard. And that's what I just hope to do. I wish I could shield my daughters from racism, Chris. I wish I could allow them to grow up in a space where they wouldn't have to deal with all those things and I could take it all. You know, we all want to take the pain from our kids. But unfortunately, I can't do that. They have to go out into the world at some point and they have to experience it. I just hope that I can prepare them. You know, I hope I can prepare them to be strong through all of it and to be successful despite it. And I also, through things just like this, hope that I can better prepare other men out there to help their daughters understand that they can make a difference in this as well. Because without those young, mostly white American girls at my daughter's school who are giving them a hard time, without them having a home where that's acceptable and where their parents are pushing them to be more culturally inclusive and everything else, then my daughters can have a world where they can just go to school and learn rather than have to worry about how they look or what they, what their skin color is. Right. So this kind of my ulterior motive for this is just really hoping that some dads will step up as leaders out there and say, my family's not going to be that way. We are going to be inclusive and we're going to do it the right way. So that's my hope, Chris. And finally, What's one piece of advice that you would give to other dads? Oh, the piece of advice that I would give to other dads is just try as hard as you can when you can to show your daughters that you can be vulnerable as a man and that you can 
be fallible and that you don't have all the answers. I think that's really important. I think that it's important for the relationship that you have with your daughters and it's really important for what they see as this connection between a father and daughter and potentially something that they'll carry to future relationships in their life, right? And so I just think that vulnerability and understanding that that's how you really connect with people is through those peaceful and very painful moments. I think that's really important. And I continue to work on that and I continue to be better at that. It's difficult to do. So it's advice I'd give. It's something I'm working on myself and something that I hope to be able to get better at. Thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Now, if people want to find out more about you, you know, find you out on the interwebs, is there a certain place you'd send them? Yeah. So I would send them to, I have a Facebook page. It's Dr. Lawrence Chatter's motivational speaker. I just put a lot of really positive things on there on a daily basis, kind of stopped during this whole coronavirus thing, but have gotten up and running again. But I'd encourage them to find me there. And I'm always open to conversations. I love to talk to people and just build new friendships. And so certainly folks can reach out to me if they need additional resources about anything and just want to have a conversation or anything like that. And Chris, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to spend this time with you. You know, definitely a man that I respect greatly and have just seen what you are doing and how you're using your platform for real positive change for our daughters. And I'm truly appreciative of that. And so thank you for this opportunity to spend some time with you tonight and spend some time talking about my daughters as well. It's something I really enjoy doing. Well, I really appreciate everything that you've shared. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, thank you for being along the journey with all of us at Fathering Together and being a part of our Dads with Daughters community. We have loved having this opportunity to have you as a part of all of this and look forward to continuing our work together into the future. Excellent. Thanks. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can 